Welcome once again to the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast. Uh, today, once again, we're having one of our topic episodes. And in these episodes, we like to pick a topic that we can, you know, sit around. You know, you could talk to your buddies about, and really, you know, it's one of those one of those things where, you know, it's very easy to to talk for a long time about about this, or even even argue with your friends about this. And I'm pretty sure we're going to argue quite a bit on this. And uh, what we're talking about today are most underrated performers. And uh, really, it's going to be pretty much of all time, at least of our whole lives, because we're sp- spanning a lot of years here, Bubs. Yeah, Bubs, we are. We, I think we're definitely going to have a couple argumentative points to go over with each other. We're going back to probably mid-'80s is how far back we're going to reach a little bit into the golden era of stuff. But, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things we could talk about. There's a lot of opinions that both you and I have. Some of yours are wrong, but that's fine. We'll be able to get through this, and it'll be a pretty good So you're starting early. Yeah, I'm starting. Okay, you're starting early. We're not even picking anybody, and I'm already accusing you of a couple things that I think I know where you're gonna go. Well, uh, I'm pretty sure you're probably gonna call Kurt Angle underrated for some reason because that's you know. Okay, that's not fair. Um, (laughs) Not fair. That's pretty much proof in the pudding. You're lucky you're far away because I have a throat punch (laughs) waiting for you when you get back. So uh, okay, okay. just prepare for that. But uh, so yes, Kenny O. With me, as always, is Chris Harris, and uh, I think uh, I think we're ready to get into this, don't you think? Yeah, let's see what happens. I'm ready to argue with you, so uh, you want to? I guess we'll start back and we'll go back to the golden era. You want to want to do that, and we'll kind of move our way forward. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about the golden era a little bit. Uh, jump forward to the. Uh, it's going to be like golden era, new generation, and then uh, attitude era, ruthless aggression, and you know, let's just see let's just see where we go from there. Oh, I like it. Let's see what happens. Who you yeah, you with? go ahead and start us off. Oh, you want me to jump well, actually, in? why don't? Well, well, why don't we talk about what we think an underrated performer is? What, what's kind of our criteria for this? Okay, this is a harder criteria. That's a good question because that's exactly what I, I, I like really defined my criteria in the last episode, and I was really adamant about it. But this one it was kind of hard because there's a lot of reasons why I think many superstars can be perceived as being underrated. So this was kind of hard. I mean, this one took. A little bit of research. This one took some bias, of course, some guys that I think should have been pushed a lot better. But I think that's kind of where I started was who should have got a push that never got it or who should have sustained a longer one, who should have had multiple title reigns or a title reign in general because of the things that are missing from their uh, their resumes are like, you know, main titles or even major matches and things like that. What do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm inclined to uh, kind of agree with you on that. Uh, one of the things that, in my opinion, makes someone underrated in the business is – uh, a lack of a push when clearly they deserved it. You know, the fans were behind them, but for some reason management wasn't. Uh, people who are just really good in the ring, they may they may have been lacking something like uh, mic skills, but uh, for some reason, you know, their their in ring work was fantastic, and vice versa. People who were really good on the mic, maybe not so great in the in the ring, but for some reason management just didn't give them a push. Yeah, we're kind of on the same page, but I think we'll, we'll differ in a little bit of who we actually think should have received a push, and we'll, we'll talk about kind of why they why they didn't get those, or at least why we think they should have been pushed. So, uh, you want me to step up first and get in the batter's box, or you have somebody already ready? No, no, you you go ahead and you go first. Okay, I'm gonna go strong, and 
maybe the most underrated guy ever. But uh, I always say that. I always say obnoxious things like that because I'm just completely crazy. But uh, Ricky, the, 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 the hyperbole is strong with you. Yes, hyperbole, also known as extreme exaggeration. Yes. Yes. So I'm leading off with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Mm, and very underrated. I say that because, and it's kind of hard to say that he was underrated because he did a lot of good work in, in NWA. And we talked about this, I don't think it was necessarily on a podcast, but we've talked about his matches with Ric Flair when they were both in NWA and they were feuding over the title in Chicago and they did the one in Louisiana. And those matches were just, you know, they're near great. I don't like to say great a whole lot, but they were very close. And he's got a bunch of title reigns. He's, he was a U.S. champ, I think, four times, TV champ, a bunch of tag titles. And his one major victory, which is considered one of the greatest matches of all time at WrestleMania three with Macho Man Randy Savage, I say he's underrated because his babyface persona that was used in NWA against Ric Flair's heel character should have been taken advantage of when he came to WWE. They still could have used him in the exact same way because... At that time, he was a very unique type of character who was very pure and just an obvious baby face, and he never really got that top-of-the-card push where he could have been at the time, I think. And uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, one of the things you forgot to mention is that he did hold the big gold belt. He beat he uh, did. Ric Flair. He did. And, uh, but, yeah, yeah. so once he made the jump to WWF, I, I don't understand exactly what they were trying to do with him, but at the time, you know, everyone who was big were just these over-the-top characters like a Hogan, like a Savage. So these guys that like, like Steamboat, who wasn't a great talker, I, he, he was passable. <clears throat> he did good work against Flair on the mic, but uh, at WWF at the time, you had to have a big personality. You had to be great oh, yeah. on the mic. And he was by far, in my opinion, probably the best in-ring worker at the WWF at the time. At that time, so, right. So, Yeah. He put he put on some great matches, like you said that that one classic with uh, Savage, which was near perfect because of just how much they 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 choreographed it, they they organized it beforehand, mm-hmm. went through it, just so they could put on because those two those two guys wanted to be you know the best in the ring, they wanted to be have the best matches, and you know when you have constantly the best matches, it, it's hard to understand why that person doesn't get a push because the crowd does appreciate people who can you know who can work mm-hmm. and that's why that's why they're considered as being the, the show stealer from from that wrestlemania even though i mean that's one of the best not best matches but moments when hogan beats andre with the leg drop but i mean that match was not very good because neither of those guys can work in the ring and this one between steamboat and savage although it was very choreographed a lot but they put oh, on yeah. they put on a hell of a show because they wanted to steal the show and that's you know sometimes you got to do that but yeah I think you hit it right on the head with my reason for him not getting the push was because he was not a flamboyant character at the time you have Hogan you have Savage you have the Ultimate Warrior all three of those guys are colorful they do kind of outrageous things they can work the crowd they can except for Warrior the other two can cut pretty good promos especially Savage on the mic he was mean about it mean cutting promos but uh. Oh yeah, Steam Steamboat. He didn't have that. He he had great in in ring work. He you know he was a near perfectionist, but at that time, which is the case with a lot of people, it's you know you're in, you're in you're a card's full of guys who are you might be better than, but if you're not as flamboyant or you can't get as over like a Hogan was at the time, it's hard to you know justify putting you at the top of the card. I think. Yeah, when you have someone like Hogan, who was he was the quintessential top guy, like. 
you can't get more over than he was at the time. But uh, kudos to, you know, once he did leave the WWF and went back to WCW, they, WCW pushed him right back to the top because they did, that's one thing yeah. WCW did is that if you were a great in-ring worker, they pushed you. They, they could work around the, the flaws in your mic work, uh, and they can hide those and just push your in-ring work. Right. Which, uh, which really why, it, you know, me and my brother at the time became WCW fans because we just enjoyed the work better than in WWF. Mm-hmm. And so, but but those guys, like like the Steamboats in the WWF, they were kind of like the cornerstones. Like, like you watched for Hogan, you, you stuck around for Hogan, but people like Steamboat and Savage and someone I'll talk about later, they're the ones who kept you interested in your wait to get to Hogan. Right, because you all knew Hogan was going to be the end of the card or the end of the show to top it all off, right? And these guys, like Steamboat, even though I hate calling him a mid-card guy, absolutely, I absolutely hate saying that, but he was he's one of the best mid-card guys ever because just because of how good he was and he wasn't just good enough to be at the top of the card with the guys that were out there. And uh, But thank God he did have a good career. He had a bunch of titles. He was used right in NWA and then WCW after that, so he just... Yeah, I think he could have held the title. They could have pushed the babyface character pretty hard, but uh, I think a little bit regretfully they didn't. But Hall of Fame regardless. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And do you remember uh, uh, that match that Jericho had when he you know, was going around saying he could beat all the legends? And he all had right. that like one-on-five match with uh, uh, yeah. uh, Piper, uh, yep. Snooka. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, who was terrible. All of those guys were atrocious, but then Steamboat comes in. And he gets a solid "you still got it" chant from the crowd because him and Jericho put on a solid like five minutes, a pretty mm-hmm. decent ring work for a guy that's in his fifties. Yeah, he always had so a, he, a, a good body, no homo, that could always work really well in the ring, and he never lost it. And he still looks good to this day. Actually, as old as he is now, he still looks damn good. Yeah, he's someone that if uh, if I was around at the time, you know, and I got into the business, he he's the guy that I would want to train me for my right. in ring work because right. he was just absolutely. Uh, amazing in the ring for lack of a better word I can't you know I made fun of you for using hyperbole earlier but uh, he, he was one of the best yep. I can't I can't deny it and I think legitimately underrated all right that, that's a pretty solid start I, I like I like where you're uh, going with this I think I think we might not argue too much on this okay okay at least what, uh, at least to start at least to start you said you were gonna mention somebody later is that uh, later right now or is that in the next generation no, that's later right now, because he, he kind of falls into the... Well, he does fall into the same time frame. Okay. And uh, that is Jake the Snake Roberts. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And when, when you want to talk about someone that's underrated, someone who didn't get a push that they deserved, someone who's both good in the ring and good on the mic, we're yeah. talking Jake the Snake. The guy could cut a promo for days and keep you captivated, just, just keep you staring at the screen, waiting to hear what he's going to say. And then his ring work was really good. He's put on—he was able to put on good matches with almost anybody at the time, and that's pretty pretty hard to say about most people during that time because the ring work just wasn't that good. At least in the WWF, it wasn't. It was not. It was much more based on your character, which I'm glad you you kind of brought up, Jake the Snake Roberts, because I like the character more so than I like pretty much anything. I like the you know him carrying uh, what was Damien right the snake yeah. in in the bag Man. and. He's just kind of this. He always had that kind of look on his face, kind of a natural heel, kind of scowl at people. And he could he could work with anyone. Uh, his his uh, uh, feud with Savage was a really good one. The one where he has the snake bite 
Yes, that's right. When he's trapped on the man's arm. Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, uh, especially a kid that was, you know, afraid of snakes, you know, he was someone that just, you know, you couldn't keep your eyes off of. Like, he was just, you know, his ring worked away. The way he moved around the ring, his, his psychology in the ring, which is something that, you know, more people need to, to follow after him is his ring psychology, mm-hmm. psychology, his ring generalship. He always knew where the ropes were. He always knew where everything in the ring was, and he always used it to his advantage. Why do you think he never got the push, though? Was he just a, a product of being around too many top flamboyant guys, kind of like Steamboat? Yeah, he kind of falls into that same category like Steamboat, although he was a much better talker mm-hmm. than... Now, he wasn't as good in the ring, but he was still very good in the ring, and that DDT was devastating. That's right. That was one of those... Uh, not kicking out of those that. finishers. No, you were not going to kick out of the DDT. Now, you know, anyone can do a DDT. My... my my niece can come up and DDT me right now, and I'll kick out you gotta kick before out. she even pins me. Yeah. yeah. But I, yeah, he was just he was just there at the wrong time, and also he just he started to let himself go. Uh, you know, he he could have gotten a push in the mid '90s. Uh, you know, he was in the finals of the King of the Ring '96 whenever Stone Cold that's beat right. him. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to be Triple H's, but then that's when Stone Cold broke through. But. He just, his inner demons, that's just one of those things. It's just, one of those what ifs. Like, what if he was just he oh, was yeah. clean? What if he was right in the head? You know, just how far he could have gone with that character. And that's yeah. probably why, like, the, the company probably just didn't trust him to be a champ. Yeah, that's, that's the word I was going to say was a lack of trust probably from the top to be able to, to carry the belt and be able to do all the things you have to do as the face of the company. They might not have just been comfortable with that, even though he, I think he easily could have pulled it off. I think it's more so as a heel than anything. He could have been a hell of a heel with the top belt, but I mean, you're right. The demons. Every time I think of him now, I think of the the documentary of him most recently, which kind of documents. Uh, so the resur- Yeah. Yeah, the one that's on the Netflix. resurrection of Jake the Snake. So good. I, I I definitely challenge all of you listening to go and watch that uh, documentary on YouTube on Netflix. Yeah. It's called the Resurrection of Jake the Snake. Uh, it's about DDT. DDP uh, rehabbing him, bringing him in, and uh, getting him clean, and uh, really helping him because he wasn't in the Hall of Fame, and they weren't going to put him in the Hall of Fame because right. he did have so many issues. But uh, thankfully, you know, he had someone who cared about him and was able to help him get clean. Yeah, as a wrestling fan and as a man, that one will kind of pull on a couple emotions if you end up watching all of it. It's a, it's not necessarily a tearjerker, but it'll make you feel a certain way. I think. Oh, tear, there were definitely tears welling up. Yeah. It's worth the time to, to go watch. Of course, after you listen to the Collar Noble Wrestling Podcast. Yeah, you know, don't don't shut it off now. You know, just wait till the end. Then you can go watch the yeah, documentary. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's 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 one of my guys for the uh, Golden Age. Okay, uh, I, have, I have one more you... guy that I want to kind of slide in, if depending on how many we're okay. going to try to do here. But uh, this is one I think we might be able to argue about. And I just wanted to bring him up to kind of kind of to piss you off or to, to gauge you and see if you're uh, all about this. And I'm going with the enforcer, the original enforcer, Arn Anderson, and Ooh. one of the original Spinebusters, of course. And one I of the bring, better ones. Yeah. I bring him up because I think he only held the TV title on numerous occasions in, in, in NWA. He never got a great singles push in WCW. He never got one in WWE F at the time. So he's noted as a hell of a tag champion, of course. He's, I think him and Tully, I think it was Tully Blanchard, they ended Demolition's streak, yeah. longest streak 
which has now been broken. But, uh, I mean, everything about him was, uh, he was this kind of big ox looking dude, but super graceful in the ring with a look of aggression. And I mean, he, he could do a lot of things. And I think he could have been a lot, a lot more than just the enforcer guy who stands, you know, next to Ric Flair so much when they were in, when the, in the, in the four horsemen and more than just a tag team guy than totally Blanchard and him. Well, I think that's what the issue is uh, bringing up Ric Flair was that he was part of the Four Horsemen with Ric Flair, and that group was together to keep Ric Flair on top and yeah. you know to help him help him stay on top. And you know, he he was kind of a product of that. That there was no way, you know, especially with his kind of persona, it's kind of hard to kind of build him as you know a babyface that that goes against oh, yeah. the heel and Ric Flair. He would have never so, gotten to go against Flair. That wouldn't have never worked out. But I think more so in his time when he came over to WWF that he never got the opportunity to kind of run through the mid card a little bit. He did in NWA times because him and Dusty Rhodes have several really good matches. Y'all should check those out too. I think they were for the TV title. But um, I mean, those are really it as far as his like known singles actions. I think he just, he deserved for as much as he's even talked about now and such an influence now in wrestling today that he, he should have been given the opportunity, I think. And he was just never given the opportunity. Whether he wanted it or not, I don't know. Well, he kind of falls into that uh, Dean Malenko category where, you know, you're a great in-ring worker, but his mic skills really wasn't going to lend well to being a top guy. Like, yeah, he can work, and then, but but even his style, I don't think would translate into being, you know, a top main event guy, someone that the fans could, you know, feel that, oh, this is an exciting match. Yeah. Because he he didn't he just have any doesn't, excitement about him. No, nothing about him exudes like, oh man, I can't wait to watch the next Arn Anderson match. Yeah. But when you watch one of his matches, you're like, you you always end up going, wow, that was a that was a pretty good match. But you were never wowed by him. Yeah. So he he's underrated in the aspect that yeah he was a really good in ring worker, but I I I don't think he really could have had like a a big title run. I don't either, especially at the top. But I think definitely in the mid card doing something with the Intercontinental title or U.S. title, depending on wherever the hell he was at the time. I, I think he I think he could have pulled it off or at least worked to get other people over, which is what he was very good at as well. But, but it's a good point. Yeah. Uh, that, was a, that was an interesting pick. Wasn't one of your stronger picks, but, hey, that's your opinion. Hey, thanks. It's, it's right, though. I, it's a correct point. <laughs> okay. Sure. Whatever you say. Whatever helps you sleep at night. Anyway... Uh, I've got I've got one more guy from that era also, and I've brought this up to you, and you didn't seem to really care for this pick much. Okay. And I'm gonna go with the uh, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Yeah, I, I didn't care for this when you were bringing it up. I'm gonna have to hear you out as to why you think this, but I'll listen. Well, you know, you have to think. He was he was a main event guy. He he always was in kind of the main event picture as either you know a manager or. Even a wrestler, he, he he wrestled for the title against uh, Savage. Uh, created the million million dollar title. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy, the guy could cut promos for days, just like uh, Jake the Snake. And he was a really good in ring worker. Uh, he's one of those guys that you know he you're on the edge of your seat during the match because he's just he was a really good seller, and he he was just a really good really good worker in general. But he never held a world title for as long as he was there, as long as he was at the top. He never got a run with the world title, which, you know, to me, was kind of one of the biggest crimes of the golden age, of that 80s, early 90s era, is that Ted DiBiase never got a chance to, to run with the title. 
Do you think he would have been able to pull it off, though, against the more flamboyant-type characters instead of just a guy who laughs and throws money around? Well, I mean, for the time, he was a very flamboyant character because he did have that over-the-top kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, he, he would he would throw money at people. He would try to pay people off to win matches. Uh, you had the infamous uh, on um, Saturday, it was like main event Saturday night, or Saturday night's main event where uh, Hogan wrestled uh, Andre the Giant, and that's when you had uh, the Hebners. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, the twin referees who screwed Hogan over. Yeah. And I think Hogan accused them of having plastic surgery to make Earl look like the like other Dave, Hebner. Like Dave Hebner. Dave Hebner, yeah. So, and and after Andre won, he, he gave the title. like, oh, the, I'm giving this to Ted DiBiase because he paid me. But they, they never went anything further with that. Hogan got the title shortly after and held it, you know, like he always did. Uh but I, I, I honestly think he could have run with like he could have been after that could have been one of the biggest, if not the biggest heels of the 80s. And yeah, he was a damn good heel. So, I mean, they could have worked, you know, the heel face thing pretty easily with him against Hogan or even Savage, depending on the, the year we're talking. But uh, I don't know. I mean, his promos were mean, that's for sure. And his, his in-ring work was oh, yeah. was definitely not not bad. But I mean, there was nothing special about him. I think okay. that they put him up at that level because even though Hogan could not is not a great worker in the ring, his character the yeah. way he got over was enough that you can leave him at the top. Savage was flamboyant and could cut a cut a promo and could work in the ring. So I mean, I guess DiBiase was just kind of on that lower tier of the top guys. And I mean, at the time you got to have your you got to be able to sell merch, you got to be able to to draw crowds, and if you weren't doing it better than Hogan for short periods of time, like some of the other guys that held the title for short periods of time, I don't think people are going to go to the those events, those pay-per-views, and go, oh, man, the Million Dollar Dream. I'm going to see that thing tonight. He's going to lock it in on somebody. I don't. I just don't think people were overly excited about him, although his character was was worth the watch. Which, which why he would have been such a great heel is that he would have been someone that people would have loved to watch a babyface like Hogan go over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not thinking about him holding the title for very long, but just someone that, you know, like a placeholder heel that, you know, gets the crowd to just despise him. So that way when Hogan inevitably gets the title back, uh, it's a bigger deal. Yeah. Cause fans love watching heel. Well, used to, no, not, not Care- now. Careful now. Yeah. yeah. Back then. Yeah. Maybe. Easy. If you're a heel, you're the most loved guy in the world. Except for the Miz. No one likes the Miz. I love the Miz. I love the Miz. Oh, Talk about, oh man, you want to talk about underrated. And you, you said placeholder heel. You know who I thought of when you said that? Who? Seamus. Ooh, that's exactly who I was thinking when I used the term placeholder heel. Nothing he but is a exactly fucking placeholder. Close. Yes. To get to a champ that we couldn't <clears throat> care any less about uh, at the time. That's rough. Jeez. Yeah. Ah, how, could, how dare you bring up Seamus? And in turn, Roman Reigns, when I'm talking about the million-dollar man, Ted I, I, I was not. I didn't mean it, but you said placeholder, and that's just who uh, sat in my mind. I'm sorry, though. So, yes, the dream. That's okay. It, you know, the million-dollar yeah, version. I'm glad I'm glad you were able to, to put a couple pieces together. That's a nice <laughs> touch. That just that just hurt a lot. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm done with the million-dollar man, much like the WWE was at the time. Ah, yes. 
Yeah. I think we can kind of transition into, you can kind of change up generations a little bit, unless you got someone else you want to throw in there so we can make some progress here. Uh, no, I mean, we, we're, we're kind of getting, because these guys we've talked about, especially uh, DiBiase and uh, Jake the Snake, kind of blended into the, uh, the, the lead up to the Attitude Era. So, you know, if you want to start talking about, you know, new generation Attitude Era, let's go ahead. Yeah, I got a couple guys who are going to, who we can at least discuss. One in particular, definitely not an Attitude Era guy where he was in his prime, but the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith, because, mm. man. And he worked for about, for different parts of three three different decades. He was at the end of the 80s, he ran through the 90s, he was part of early 2000s work. And, you know, he's got a couple iconic matches where he won, I think in, I think it's in Wembley Stadium against Bret Hart, that yes. SummerSlam where he That's wins the IC title. That shit's epic. He was the first and that was the main champion. event. Yeah, damn right it was. And God, looking back now, you just knew that Bulldog was going to go over. That place would have oh, rioted. Absolutely. God, they would have killed everybody. Was... Well, speaking of that, remember when Shawn Michaels beat him for the European title in England with his sister that had cancer sitting right there? Oh, it's good booking if you're the WWE. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. Okay, anyway, go on. Sorry. I think um, the reason I bring him up is because his physique – his kind of his power. I even liked his damn ring gear and his fucking road dog esque um, dreadlocks that he had. But I think the the problem was he should have got a mid '90s push right next to HBK because I mean they were in the Royal Rumble together, and so you knew that they saw the Bulldog as somebody that they could have at the top, but they never gave him the right push. So between Bret Hart, HBK, and the British Bulldog, I'm not sure why. Those two were chosen over the Bulldog, except for, I mean, Hart and HBK kind of matched each other in the ring, and they had great chemistry to work together. So I don't know why the Bulldog wasn't in the the title picture at that time in that mid-'90s picture. Uh, I, just thinking about it, I think I have an answer for you. And uh, when, when I think of the Bulldog, you know, I think of, you know, his tag team, the British Bulldogs with mm. the Dynamite Kid. Uh, I think of him being in the Hart Foundation and working with Bret Hart. He, when I think about him, I always think of him as, you know, a tag team or as a part of a guy. group. Yeah. yeah, just just the guy as part of a group, not really a top guy. Uh, he didn't have great mic work, no. and his ring work did leave a little bit to be desired. And really, when I think about him, I always think of Bret Hart. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's always he's always going to be kind of a step below. And at the time, I don't think that that was somebody that they could have pushed to. Because they were really going hard. That, that's when the ratings war was going on. And yeah. I don't think they felt that that was someone that would draw a crowd either, you know, at the box office or for ratings. Yeah, I think there was a lot of love for Shawn Michaels particularly and Bret Hart particularly, those two, that the Bulldog was kind of just left on that, that second tier at the top. But like I said, you know, he got, he got the championship opportunities. He went up against Triple H in the early 2000s. He went up against The Rock this is when his uh, he was wearing jeans in the ring, you know, at this time. But uh, yeah, they, and he got uh, rock bottomed on dog dog doo doo. Yeah, so we have him. Uh, we have some memorable moments for him, but he's just he was just never at the top. <laughs> but I think uh, I think the lack of ring work to match HBK and Bret Hart was the reason because he was good enough in the ring and he was strong enough and he could pull off some things that I think it could have worked. But the ratings war and the fact that Bret Hart and HBK were just so damn good. They couldn't really go anywhere else with that top that top title. Yeah, you, you look at the people that were at the top during that time, and it was people that were you – know, you either had to be 
really good in the ring to match someone like Bret Hart, Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels, and that that's why guys like you know Stone Cold, The Rock came in. Uh, they they ended up on the main event because you know they could work well with those guys in the ring, and they also had flashy personalities. And honestly, Bulldog didn't, and I think that was his biggest, really his biggest downfall was that he he just wasn't that interesting of a person. Yeah, and he didn't have a whole lot to his character, which is another reason. But I don't know. I guess I'm, maybe it's a little markism on me that I liked him so much like this that I wanted to put him on here. But that's typical for you, though. Yeah, I've, I've been known to be a mark about a lot of things, right? <laughs> yeah, Fucking like uh, Kurt Angle in every single show. You're a terrible human. I'm a terrible human. But I digress, so uh, I'll, yeah. let you, I'll let you jump on here. Okay. Uh, I'm kind of going to stick with that Heart Foundation theme that you got oh, going. And okay. uh, a guy that I think is very underrated and deserved a whole lot more and before his untimely passing, uh, Owen Hart. Okay. I'm listening. Because, well, you want to talk about a guy that, you know, he, he was pretty solid on the mic. Uh, he, he was pretty charismatic, and his ring work was just so good. But, you know, other than, you know, maybe the icy title and King of the Ring, they really never pushed him any further than that. And I understand that's another guy that when you mention his name, you think of Bret Hart. So he's always going to be below Brett yeah. in that aspect. But honestly, I think his ring work was you know, better than most of the people there. And his feud with Brett once he turned heel and the brother, brother versus brother feud was absolutely fantastic. And I think he could have, he could have at least had a short run with the title, in my opinion, during, during that 94 to 96 range. Yeah, him coming out of the, the heart dungeon, as many of the hearts did, of course, he was a great technician in the ring. And I loved him as a heel. I hated, I didn't like him so much as a face, but I mean, he was just so damn good in the ring and matches that him and Brett put on were, they were up towards that great level. A couple of them were, but his personality was not anywhere close to the charismaticness of HBK and even of Brett Hart at the time to, to justify pushing him over his brother who was better in the ring than him and had a bigger following and sold a lot more merch. So... Well, I'm it's almost sure. as if they, I mean, they 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 gave him the King of the Ring, yeah, uh, which really fit his heel persona. Uh, he was much better in the ring, and to me, a better personality than you know a Diesel, who was pushed Ugh. to the top, or a Psycho Sid, who was because also of their, because of his in. size. Yeah, they were huge human beings, but they weren't very interesting characters, no. and their ring work was atrocious. Kevin Nash was was never was never good in the ring. He was always no. big. And um, he wasn't awful on the on the mic, but uh, he just. But fell he wasn't in. good. No, 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 he wasn't. But he just fell in at the right time. And Vince always has a, a hard on for guys that are huge like that who can move around the ring. And he could definitely move around the ring, but um, he never awed anybody just other than his size. That's all he had going for him. They put him and Mabel in the main event. They did for the title, also known as Viscera. <laughs> Also known as Big Daddy V. Big Big Daddy V. That's right. Mabel got a fucking yeah. title shot. I remember now. That's yeah. who who booked that? Was that me? Did I book that? Fuck. Yeah. No, you would think someone like us would have booked it. You know, people who have no <laughs> experience in the business would have booked that. Just because oh these these guys are huge. Let's yeah. That'll be great. Surprise, Mabel doesn't win. Yeah. 
Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. He falls hard down the card. Weighing in at well over 500 pounds. He weighed in close to what Crash Holly was weighing in at. Yeah, and a couple of years later, Crash probably broke the record for the heaviest guy in the ring ever. But because uh, yeah, he was well over 400 pounds. Mm-hmm. And that scales the truth. Yeah. But uh, yeah, as I, what, what was I talking about? Most <laughs> underrated, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Owen Hart. He he had great matches, and I mean, answer me this: if he wouldn't have had that accident, do you think they would have pushed him? At some point, just just as a hey, you've been here for a long time. You put in the work, you know. Here's a shot because they were just they were giving a lot of people that had been in there for a while, you mm-hmm. know, as like a kudos, like a you know, attaboy. Here's a title run for like a month. Yeah, I think absolutely not. He wouldn't have gotten any push. You, you remember his character when he when he passed away? The blue away? blazer. Exactly. He was the blue fucking blazer. Okay. Yeah. So that that wouldn't. That have was been... temporary. Damn it, that it, was, it was temporary. It was supposed to be temporary. It lasted, I don't remember how long it lasted, but God knows it could have kept going for another year. But uh, uh, I don't I don't think that. But regardless of how good he was, think of who he would have had to take the title from in early 98, mid-98, late 98, 99. We're talking Austin and then The Rock. But he, you got a built-in feud there with him and Austin. You know, He broke Austin's oh, yeah. neck. That could have worked, really I think. Bad. But for them to, to put the title on a on a pure heel, the way they did it with The Rock was genius because they put The Rock in the McMahon Corporation and he was the corporate champion. So they just built up Austin's face a lot better with that. So would they have taken Owen Hart and made him the corporate champion kind of like they did with The Rock? I don't think so at all because they're totally different personalities. So no, I I don't think he gets to the top at all. Or they could have done an angle where, you know, a babyface angle where he, you know, is pissed off at the system, pissed off at Vince for screwing Brett. And you know they could, the crowd would have eaten that up, especially if they had the title match in Canada. Yeah, and I mean, you know they try screwing him over uh-huh. there, but 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 kind of like what happened with Cena and Punk. It's like no, you know we can't do this, and he ends up winning. I think that would have been huge. I mean, it could have worked, but again, we're talking about him going over the most overface since Hogan. He's not going to beat Stone Cold right. Steve Austin like that. No. So there was some potential, depending on, I mean, if Rock was working a, the heel gimmick like he was, they were in the nation together. So there's they could have worked yeah. something like that out. But, I mean, no, I just don't think it ever would have happened. He should have gotten a lot more love as an IC champion in the mid-card because yeah. I think he could have easily been I, one of the best mid-card guys of all time. Yeah, so that's, I'm glad I asked that question because, uh, you know, I, I do always think what if. And I like to think what if with some of these guys – and uh, that, that's one of the things that, you know, I like to think is, you know, what if he didn't have that tragic accident? You know, would he have gotten that push? But yeah. we'll never know, fortunately. No, it's, it's, it's sad to think about. But, I mean, I still think of him as one of the best wrestlers, just for that term, wrestlers uh, ever, just for how good he was in the ring. Right. Okay. Sounds good. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on up here. A guy who's been around for quite some time now, and I don't want this one to get you mad. Because I'm going to try to defend it. He's still around today. And another arguable point, I'll kind of ask you where you sit on this, but uh, one of the best gimmicks ever. And I'm talking about Dustin Runnels, the gold dust. Oh. All right. Interesting. Okay. Um, Because uh, I I do have some things to say about that, but uh, please, please go on. Please go on. Interesting pick. Okay. So 
obviously he gets a lot of love and respect just for being the dream's son. So that, that kind of helped him get in. But uh, for him to stick around and stay and remain relevant in the wrestling world, yeah, he left WWF slash E a couple times and went on and did some other things with some different type of odd characters. But for him to stay relevant and be as good as he was as an intercontinental champion and a guy who worked the mid card, I don't think he would have ever been a champion. So I'm not saying he's underrated because he should have been champion. Okay, good. He, good. He I'm glad you... Yeah. He shouldn't have beaten Stone Cold when they had their match on Raw, which he didn't. He should have never you know, been put in that, that situation. But I have a lot of respect for the guy. For If you can maintain a gimmick like that, like Kane has done, like The Undertaker have done, even though people laugh at it because it's a goofy-ass weird character, for you to work that for so long, I have a lot of respect for that. And for you, for him to stay as good as he has, even today, and being you know, funny and still being able to work around the ring, I have a lot of respect for a guy like that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that it was his gimmick that really has gotten over for so long because it, it's it in my opinion it's a lot easier to remain relevant and over with the crowd for an extended period of time when you do have a gimmick and, and of course it has to be a strong gimmick like kane and undertaker uh, those guys aren't lasting very long without those gimmicks i mean sure they developed you know pretty solid characters and and mic work and ring work over time but it was the, it was their characters that got them over, and and in my opinion, Goldust, Goldust is the reason Dustin Reynolds is over because, you know, he was Dustin Reynolds in you know NWA, WCW, mm-hmm. and he was a mid card at best guy, uh, but his Goldust gimmick was really good and really entertaining, and honestly, it still is, you know, they still they're still trying to push it. That's how you know relevant in their minds they think it still is. Exactly. But, yeah, I don't. I don't think he ever would have been, you know, a top guy, but, you know, you want to talk about a merch seller, you know, you can, you know, push gold dust masks, stuff like that. His mic work was, was okay because, because the gimmick allowed it to be okay. All he had to do was just be weird. Yeah. The bizarro one, you know, and I, and I really go, go on. It's your guy. I think the merch thing, like you said, at the, in the peak of the attitude era, when things are, you know, different and things are weird and there's all kinds of stuff that's kind of acceptable. You can sell a bunch of gold dust stuff because you want to because people are weird and they're bizarre in themselves and they want to wear weird crap because he did weird shit. Him and Terry Runnels, damn, she was hot. Oh, yeah, his I, wife. I, I got I this, that. distracted. They were literally married. Um, yeah. Good. But uh, yeah, gold. not underrated in the aspect that he should have ever been at the top of the card because I don't think that would have worked. Not okay. like a, not a gimmick like that. But um, no. I mean, he he worked Roddy Piper at a WrestleMania. He worked Austin before he got you know Attitude Era peak Austin so and he was intercontinental champion several times and a tag team champion several times so I guess I'm I want him to be viewed as a much bigger mid-card guy than he'll ever be perceived as because he's only going to be remembered as the character and I think his work deserves a little more attention than what it actually was aside from just a dude wearing a gold suit kicking people in the nuts when they're stuck in the turnbuckle you know and, and doing, you know, very flamboyant and at the time, like, he really, you know, one of the things that made him such a, you know, good heel at the time was when he was doing that uh, that program with Ahmed Johnson uh, where he, he kept doing all the homosexual stuff with him and it would just yes. freak out Ahmed. Yeah. And at the time, you know, WWE logic is, oh, we can get this guy over as a heel because he's doing something weird like being gay. Yeah, which is absolutely asinine <laughs> on WWE's logic, but at the time when you have those Monday Night Wars, like 
yeah, w, uh, WCW was winning in the ratings for so long, but WWE was drawing huge crowds, and I could guarantee you, I'll, I'll look it up just to verify, and I'll bring it up on the next podcast. I bet you WWE was crushing WCW in merch sales, and that's one of the reasons why WCW, I think, was losing so much money. It's yeah. because they didn't have the characters to sell merch. You know, all they had was Sting. Sting was really the only guy that could sell a lot of merch, and the NWO, sure. Yeah. But that's just one entity. Every everybody in WWE, you know, was a merch seller. But when you have someone like Undertaker, Kane, and you know Goldust, those guys push you over the top mm-hmm. when it comes to to merch sales. And I think WWE has rewarded him for all these years. And I, and I loved all his tag team work. His tag team with Booker T is one of my favorites yes. of all time. Yes, they were so when, odd when he got different. electrocuted. When he got electrocuted and would stutter all the time. <laughs> But, uh, Once I again, mean... <laughs> WWE making fun of a. Uh, anyway, I, I loved him. He, he, he was. He's very entertaining. He's had some very entertaining moments. But no, I don't think he ever would have been a top guy, nor should he have ever been. Uh, but he was good for what he was. Exactly, and uh, he'll be a Hall of Fame guy, I think, as soon as he, whenever he wants to retire. I'm glad he can still work, and they're still, you know, giving him the benefit of being able to come out every now and then and do random shit with our truth, who's old as shit now too. So I'm glad they're rewarding you guys like that. Uh, and lucky that you brought up Goldust because that does kind of lead into my next guy uh, who kind of blends blends into generations, but he really made his biggest mark during the uh, Attitude Era. And he had a great feud with uh, Goldust over Terry Runnels. Uh, and that uh, was okay. Flying Brian Pillman. Yes, the unhinged Brian. one. Yes. This guy was fantastic in the ring you know had a great great singles career in wcw uh where he was known as great, brian yeah and he put on great matches uh, he, he was developing his mic skills but he hadn't found that he was just a baby face one of those you know typical super athletic baby faces that did you know high flying moves kind of like your steamboats mm-hmm. uh but then you know he he starts a tag team with someone called uh, steve austin Something like that. I, yeah, I think that's Steve, that guy's Steve name. Yeah. I don't think he had mounted too much, but uh, I think that joke. worked out. Yeah, I think that that's that tag team actually worked out. They uh, battled several Hall of Famers. Go on. But uh, yeah, they they did, and you know, then he joined the Four Horsemen. You know, they they thought, you know, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, you know, this guy could be on our level. You know. And that, that's when he really started to develop that unhinged character. He started to see some of his you know, funny moments when he was uh, tagging with Steve Austin mm-hmm. uh, because they, they were feuding with the four horsemen. And you know, they started calling them, you know, making fun of how old they were. Uh, Flair had a show called Flair for the Gold. Oh, God. And, uh, and, and so Stone Cold and, or Steve Austin and stunning Steve Austin. Stunning Steve. And Flying Brian, and flying Brian Pillman uh, called it Flair for the Old. had great segments with that but he was just unhappy with being in wcw so -hmm. he goes crazy starts doing some crazy stuff so they would release him and he goes to wc or ecw where he just completely develops his unhinged character and his just his crazy persona and I, i i definitely challenge you to go and watch some of his promos and skits from ecw because they are absolutely insane he wrestles a pencil at one point, Get uh, complaining about the bookers from WCW. <laughs> yes. And he wrestled the shit out of that pencil. 
But uh, he, he, unfortunately, you know, while he was in ECW, before he can even wrestle, he got into a really bad car accident that mm. uh, fucked up his ankle. And really, that, that really hindered him for the rest of his career. But he does make the transition, even while he's hurt, WWF, you know, saw enough in him to sign him before he was even able to return to the ring. And when he did, he was he was really good in the ring, you know, and, you know, he, he had that crazy character. So his promos, much like Jake, the snakes, you just had, to, they were so compelling. You just had to watch that, that. That's one thing about him. It's just that you had to watch him. That's what made him so great. In my opinion, I definitely think he's one of those dudes who had just loads of potential, but the potential just never popped It never popped in early WCW when he was putting on really good matches, like at the beginning of the card and shit like that. And in ECW, I don't think he ever really got the opportunity. And then, no, he didn't. And then he came in to the WWF, still full of potential. I think that's why they, they definitely signed him. He falls into the gaps, though, for me, of times when I wasn't watching consistently as a young kid. So I don't remember okay. many things from Brian Pillman. I've had to look back and watch all of his stuff, and the character was there. Unfortunately, I see a piece of Dean Ambrose in it now, and I don't like that. Yes. I don't like that. Yes. I, I, I am not a big Dean Ambrose fan, but that the Dean Ambrose gimmick is really a not, – not a ripoff or a knockoff, but it's a continuation of kind of that Brian Pillman character, but mm-hmm. toned, down, toned down much more because Brian Pillman was literally insane to the point where I was watching his documentary, and JR talks about how you know they, he wanted to drug test him. Because he was worried that he was, you know, on something because he was so crazy and had such an out-of-this-world character. But that's just who he was. That's just, you know, the character he wanted to personify. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, unfortunately his injuries did, you know, limit him in the ring and kind of cut away some of his potential. But that uh, that feud I was talking about with uh, Goldust where uh, if he won the match with Goldust, then he would get Terry Runnels for a month. Yep. To do whatever he wanted with her, and then he made the uh, the triple uh, X files with him <laughs> and Terry Runnels in a hotel room, which was absolutely insane. Can't believe they got it. And he he was also part of the famous or infamous actually uh, Stone Cold pointing a gun at Stone Cold when Stone Cold <laughs> was breaking into his house. That's right. That, that's he a... says you have your your uh, Austin three sixteen say hello to uh, Pillman nine mil. <laughs> That's a good piece of early uh, Attitude Era footage that I think should be shown more because it's actually quite hilarious to watch now. But can you honestly it, it is can you honestly picture picture Brian Pillman and then picture the old WWF championship around his waist? Can you picture that and then have it look right though? Well, he did kind of devolve into that stable guy. He was with the Hart Foundation. He was he wasn't really a, a main member of the Hart Foundation. He was kind of one of the lower members, but. I think if booked right in a match with Stone Cold, because they did have, you yeah. know, they, they did feud against each other. Uh, they had the angle where Stone Cold broke Pillman's ankle yeah, with a steel chair. Uh, you had the pieces there to build something, but unfortunately we'll never know. But, I mean, I guess when you're looking at it, I, I can't see him ever holding the title. Yeah. But, but I get, we'll just never know, because unfortunately, just like with... Owen Hart, you know, he, he was gone just too soon. I also can't really see him. I think it, it was a, they almost made a point of it to not put titles around him because his character had so much potential and it was so good and it could have been so much more that 
I mean, they they just want they could do outrageous storylines with him and do random things and not need to put a title around him to get him over, to get him noticed, or to even maybe sell merch. So that's why we didn't see a, a, a run with him as as like the main mid card guy when he came over. That that's a good point. He is one of those guys that like, there there's just some people who who don't need a title, and they were still you know over and still a big draw. You know, you saw that throughout the 2000s with Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. You know, he he only he only won that one title when he came back, but he didn't need the title. Yeah, we you see know, it, to be, we see it now with Chris Jericho. Yeah, and Chris Jericho is so over. He is probably the top heel right now, but you know he doesn't need the title. He, but he could still be in the main event scene. Yeah, putting people over and and he was 36 at the time of his passing, so. He he was kind of in that stage of just putting over some of the younger guys, but yeah, I I guess I can't see him being the top guy in the company. I think from the underrated perspective, I just don't think that he's simply talked about enough today. I don't think people reminisce about him enough for the guys that were in his era or even when he was in WCW. He's just not talked about enough. I don't know why it is. It could have been maybe because he passed away too early. Because people still don't talk about Owen Hart as much as I think they should have. Because they were both great workers and gone too soon. So I think from that perspective of underrated, he's he's not appreciated for what he did give us enough. And I can I can agree with that because it, it's hard to go back and say what if. You know, you can't do that. Yeah. What if Shawn Michaels didn't break his back in 98? You know, what if, you know, Owen Hart, Brian Pillman, you know, didn't die uh, all, all kinds of different what ifs, and that if you play the what if game, it'll drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things your, oh. your mind will come up with that should have happened. Yeah. What if WCW beat out WWF and it went out of business? You know? Oof. Yeah. Wrap your mind around that one. How terrible wrestling would be now. That means Vince Russo would still be writing. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay, okay. But, uh, but uh, if if you don't mind, I would like to throw out an honorable mention for this time time period okay uh and that would be the entire wcw cruiserweight division every single one of them every every last one of them they put on amazing matches and they they could have been main eventers in wcw if it wasn't for the management at the time and you know guys like hogan and nash having creative control over everything mm-hmm. and even booking the show at, at a certain point but I just wanted to throw that out there. See what you thought about that. No, I like it. I mean, Juventud Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, Malenko, Benoit, Jericho. I'm skipping names, too. I don't Psychosis. Know. Okay, uh, yeah. Just all of them. Yeah. I don't want to miss any names. Ultimo I mean, Dragon. Most of those. That's right. Ultimo was there. So let's push him just because. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, all those guys. They always put on – and ugh, I hated that most of those guys were early card guys, even though every one of them was worthy of being at the upper mid card. But, I mean, they were so entertaining – that they could be spread out throughout the entire card and it would all work. So damn, damn good, damn good call. Okay, yeah, and, and they were main reason why me and my brother switched once again back from WWF to WCW because of guys okay. like Chris Jericho. But uh, yep, I just wanted to throw that out there and uh, you know let let's move on. All right, uh, my next is going to actually start to fade into early two thousands and even most recently, and I'm going to bring up Shane McMahon. Now, he's he's not a professional wrestler. Right. However, dear God, he has taken, aside from Mick Foley, I think Shane McMahon has taken the most 
bumps that are memorable of all time. There's a lot of but, them. But does taking bumps make somebody a good performer or a good wrestler, a good worker, or even would make them underrated? Does does Mick Foley from, going from off that? the does Mick Foley going off the cell make him an underrated person just because he did that bump? No, not at all. But it makes the bump itself is nowhere near enough to say, "Oh man, that guy's underrated." That's just a hell of a, you know, a hell of a scary thing to go through and have the guts to do it. Right. But uh, it was entertaining, and Shane McMahon knows entertainment. That's why he was as good as he was, even though he wasn't a great technical wrestler. You know, he was the most one of the most athletic guys at the time. So for him to take all those bumps for the point of putting on entertainment, I think he's definitely underrated. He should have never held. He shouldn't have even held the European title like he did, honestly. But to say that he should have been in a lot more matches, I think, is fair. Because we could have continued to see great bumps from him. And the match against Kurt Angle, I mean, that not just the bumps that they go through, but that King of the Ring match that we both love, there's good technique in there, too. By Obviously by Kurt, because I like him. But Shane McMahon as well. I was just waiting for you to you know, find a way to throw him in there. Yep, he's in there now. Yeah, way to go. Anyway, he that that King of the Ring match is a very good match and is a match I can go back and watch over and over again, just like we talked about in our favorite matches mm-hmm. uh, show. Because he did take some really scary bumps, and you know, even when it didn't work, even when there was a mistake because they put in real glass instead of plexiglass, mm-hmm. he told Kurt, you know, keep throwing me through it. You know, we're going to make this work because he did understand the entertainment part of it, and he knew that him going through the glass is going to, you know, mean a lot more to the fans and is going to have more impact than just him being thrown against the wall, essentially. Exactly. So, for, so. I take him from the underrated perspective of he's one of the better performers of all time who does not get enough credit. From jumping off the Titantron onto the big show, from getting hit by Steve Blackman's kendo stick, to the glass, to even Hell in a Cell most recently, he doesn't get the credit that he deserves as a guy who is not by any means a pro wrestler, but who learned from the guys that he worked with and was around his whole life to put on entertainment. Yeah, and he... To me, he's not an underrated performer. He's an underrated entertainer because that's what he did. When he was in a match, it was it was so he could entertain, not to put on you know a classic or to you know show off wrestling moves. It was just for him to get the crap beat out of him and for him to do some kind of crazy stunt, you know, going coast to coast on Vince mm-hmm. was in, was a great can. moment. Yeah, yeah, and he he did that kind of stuff all the time and yeah he, he doesn't nearly get the amount of credit that he deserves for doing that stuff but I don't know if I would put him over some of the other underrated guys that we've talked about uh, I don't know if he kind of deserves to be in the same kind of company as them fair point but I, I understand why he held you know the European title it made sense storyline wise and you know he was part of the corporate Operation. You know, he even had his own group at one point where he had brought in a bunch of his friends. Oh, the Mean Street. Which was terrible. Yes, that was terrible. But as an entertainer, in my opinion, he's he's definitely one of the best entertain, pure entertainers in wrestling. Because he wasn't afraid to put his body through the extra mile. Mm-hmm. Just for the point of putting on so I, something memorable and putting on a good match with some guys. Exactly. 
Yeah, so so for that, I can I can see where you're going with that. I, I may not fully agree with it, but you know I, I understand where you're trying to trying to go with that one. Well, good. I'm glad you at least respect it a little bit. Fuck. Yeah. Hey. Whoa. Sorry, I had an outburst. I'm sorry. Did you black out again? I did. I really think you need to go get that checked out. Uh, I'll, I'll figure it out eventually. For my next guy, kind of kind of in that same early 2000s, goes into the through the ruthless aggression era. He he was a cruiserweight champion uh he was a tag team champion and honestly i think he was definitely underrated as you know, i think he was one of the better heels of the early to mid or mid 2000s when he was in the cruiserweight division and that's a uh, hurricane shane helms now oh, the hurricane okay. yeah and then when he was just shane helms running the cruiserweight division he was you know a fantastic heel wasn't he part of three count in wcw we're, we're we're not. You want to talk about that? We're not talking about. No, that's Vince Russo. I'm not talking okay. about that. I mean, there were some pretty good ladder matches it, those guys put on, but I mean that they were a fucking with singing, Tank Abbott. They were, oh, with Tank God. Abbott as their groupie. I mean, the toughest they, the toughest dude in the world, and the you planet, make him yeah. a group. You make him a groupie for fucking boy band. UFC fighting ass band. Tank Abbott and the boy band wonders. Uh, fuck you for bringing that up. But let's move on. His time, his time as the Hurricane, it was one of my favorite gimmicks of the early 2000s. He was definitely, if not one of, if not one of my top, you know, five favorite wrestlers at the time because he was, it was just so damn entertaining. And you know, he, he, being a comic book fan, he fit in perfectly with that role. And you know, he had some really good tag teams with the with with Kane, Hurricane, Hurricane. It was, was was a really good tag team. He's even got a win over The Rock. Your boy, The he Rock. He does. He chokeslammed The Rock. The Herc, he did. That was against Hollywood have. Rock, though. That was heel rock. We're not counting any of those things yeah. he did. I do like that he was a legit superhero gimmick character. A little bit ballsy. That got I, over. Yeah. That it, got over. Hell yeah, it did, because he was hilarious, and he would... He was... He's as big as I am, but his finishing move was the choke slam. you know? So he'd, <laughs> I he'd, know. he'd slap it on people like he's about to do some real shit. Yeah, he, he pulled it off a couple times, but he tried to do it on bigger guys all the time, and he'd do a pose. So I think it was really aggressive writing to book a superhero character like him at the time, <laughs> and it worked. And you, you know that his merch sold so well, and he, he said this, that uh, his merch was selling so well. He was making a whole lot of money on merch, and then when they decided to turn him you know heel and uh, have him run the cruiserweight division – uh, he, he went up to Vince and this is how much he understands and you know has a passion for the business. He told Vince, I'm a heel now. I, I don't want you to sell my merch anymore. Yeah, I'm going to lose out money. I'm going to lose out on a lot of money, but I'll make up for it you know, on pay-per-views because I'm going to get people to buy the pay-per-views for being you know, a dastardly, you know, terrible heel. Hell so yeah. you got to have respect for someone that's willing to give up a huge paycheck for the business. And I just like watching him in the ring. He was a really good cruiserweight too. But I mean, the, I can't get over the choke slam. I'm sorry. I keep going back to it. <laughs> that's what. That's what. He's a superhero. If you got choke slammed by a superhero, wouldn't you be down for a three count? Yes. Oh, a three count? Did you say? Yes, I did say it. Oh, god damn it! <laughs> ah. ah, it comes back around. Circular <laughs> jokes. Very good. We've come full circle, and I hate it. <laughs> But yeah, that's my that's one of my picks for this kind of this time time era for an underrated guy, someone who, you know, should have should have been around 
a little more, give him a little more, you know, you know, maybe give him a run with the IC title. I think he would have been a great, you know, IC champ or, you mm. know, on SmackDown US champ at the time. He, he would have been great. He could have worked. Yeah, but it didn't, unfortunately. And But he's he's gone around the independence and, you know, has made it. He was in TNA for a bit, which that doesn't say anything about anybody, really. Yes. In fact, you just degraded him a little bit there, but that's okay. I know. It just, was work. Just act like work. I never said that. Just act yeah. like I never said that. But, yeah, that's... That's my pick, Shane Helms. Bubs, how do you feel about taking this conversation now and talking about some of the stuff that's going on currently in the WWE? I know you want to talk about Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins should be the champ right now. Like he should still be champ. Like he he's kind of the Bret Hart of this era. Like just put the title on him and just keep it on him for like a year or two until people start developing. Yeah, I don't understand why he's not champion. They're kind of building up this passive aggressive match between him and Triple H that may or may not take place anytime soon and I'm like no I'd rather see the belt around him fucks unless he's gonna he goes to win the belt and H comes out and screws him over again I'd like that at least we would get a guarantee that the match will happen but him getting pedigreed that should have been the guarantee that that's coming up next yeah and I think it is but are we really waiting for Wrestlemania for that do I want to wait for that match because Triple I H wanted it gonna... to be a Survivor Series or something. So did I. I at least wanted to but see them in a fucking eight-man tag or something. Oh, or put him in Hell in a Cell. But he's going to come out at the Rumble again. Yeah, I don't think so. Not me neither. I think they're honestly going to wait for WrestleMania. But look at look at the Rock. Like who honestly, right now, can you honestly say, oh, that guy deserves more? Zack Ryder? No. I mean, fuck, there's guys that we want to see over because we're marks for them, like fucking Wyatt and Cesaro, but honestly... But Wyatt's in the main event, honestly, like... Well, now he's stuck as a tag guy. This is just to kind of... I think they're kind of gauging how he works with a title belt, because I don't think they... Because yeah. his character doesn't really lend to being a champ. No, it doesn't need to. He doesn't need a title. I think now they're trying to see what he does with, with this tag title belt. And I do like the Sister Abigail thrown into the RKO. I think that's a really good move. I think they should keep developing his shit to make it seem like he's bigger than any title or that he gets all the titles within his family so that he literally runs the fucking wrestling world as the champion. And they should work right. that up real hard, but they're not... They, we haven't seen any moves in that direction yet. No. I don't know. And you Fuck, can't say, I can't think of anyone now. You can't say Cesaro's under-fucking-rated. Yes, he's very good no. in the fucking ring, and, yeah, he should have gotten some type of a push by now, but, no, like, what has he honestly done? He hasn't, aside from tag work with Tyson Kidd, that's his biggest accomplishment. Not name, me, the, name me one match that he's been in that made you go, that guy deserves to be a main eventer. Triple threat name, with him and Miz and Sami Zayn? And what was that for? IC title. Oh, okay, yeah. So the match itself, you definitely can't put it all on Cesaro. The match itself was great. But there's not a thing that he's done, there's not a thing that Sami Zayn has done that has made no. me go, oh, man, why are they not getting pushed over a guy like Seth Rollins? Why are they not getting pushed over fucking Styles or Orton or any of these guys that can legit hold the belt? We want them to be at the top, but fuck, you can't call them underrated yet. Like, the, sure, I, a lot of people, what their arguments are is, you know, oh, well, he was the NXT champ. Okay, well... So was Neville. That doesn't really say anything. That's yeah. Do you want to? You want me to roll off all the names of all the FCW champs or OVW champs? Yeah, that'll count. It, it, it's not. Yeah, it, it's not. You know, 
NXT should not, not be that big of an the, accomplishment. The le- should not be the one prior step to you getting in the main event on the next show the next no. night. No, it's look n- at it Bo a, Dallas. What has he done a, since oh, he's been called up? Okay, he's been through a couple gimmicks that aren't working in a stable that didn't work, and hopefully he finds his way to the Wyatt family soon. That would work, but nothing. Honestly, it's a developmental fucking show, and people should quit getting so excited about it because just because they put on great matches, which they do. They're not. They shouldn't come out the next night just because they lose their title and end their feud, and then be thrown into the main event scene on Raw and be expected to go over a guy like Rollins. You can't honestly expect that. I I just think the problem is with the fans. I hate NXT fans because the know product this. is really good right now. The product is so good right now, but the fans are ruining it. Roman Reigns would be would be huge. Fuck, he'd be if it wasn't huge. for all those smarky. Why does he get so much hate? Well, because we yes, want to Yes, just hate let him. him be big. Right, he's going to be fucking... There's a reason We want to hate him because everyone boos him. We're going to be opposite. We're going to fight the... It's, yeah, because he's awesome. We're going to fight the resistance, and the resistance is Vince McMahon, but we're the fans, so we can have it our way. No, Reigns is good. It's like, Reigns is really good. And people are like, oh, I can't wait till Triple H is in charge. Yeah, me either, but guess what? Reigns is a Triple H guy, too. Reigns already dealt with his little suspension and the mishap that was that. Pushed him down to the the mid card for two weeks. That's all he's gonna get. He's gonna for be right back weeks, on the yeah. fucking top. <laughs> They're making the U.S. title more important than the Universal title. Yeah, they really are because the shit is stale with Kevin Owens up there. I don't like him as champ. I thought I would, but I don't. I thought he... I would too. I thought by now I would have loved it, and I liked it at the beginning. I liked the way he won. I did. I loved it. But what now? It's like the biggest thing on Raw is Chris Jericho. I don't want to sound too gay. But Kevin Owens just doesn't look the part of a champion to me. But isn't that yeah, the sure appeal that is Kevin Owens, though? Yeah, and his in-ring work is 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 really good. He's a really good in-ring worker. But yes. in this business, I hate to say it, but looks do matter. They really do. You you want to look at you know I've been watching so much ECW, and even even in, in ECW, their champions always look the part of champions. Taz looked like a champion. Mike Awesome looked like a champion. Shane Douglas, hell, looked like he could be a champion in any organization. Forgot franchise, the franchise, baby. baby. Damn. The, the, the one person that didn't look like he could be a credible champ was Sandman, but he beat people with kendo sticks. But, so he, play, but kinda... he played the part. His character was enough to get him over in ECW. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, fuck, he's, oh, Kevin Owens is now overrated. As much as he's been underrated his whole career for the most part, I'll say that. But now... It's like, I I'm think not, all I'm these people impressed. are overrated. Like you, you know how much I've, I've loved NXT, and I love the guys that have worked in NXT. Mm-hmm. But right now, I would call all of them overrated just for all the love that the fans are giving them. And that's unwarranted. They haven't done anything. Like, what have you done for me lately? Sami Zayn hasn't done shit. But because Man, the fans are so devoted to people fighting would, the system. People will hate us if they hurt this conversation. This is actually going to go on the end of the podcast. I'm putting it this should. This is, this, is some, this is some of our best banter right here. So there's, if you, guys really are, if you guys are enjoying this, go ahead and click a couple likes and download it again because this is real talk <laughs> we're doing right here. Not to say that yeah, this earlier isn't... was very scripted, but this has gotten real, real quick. Yeah, this, this is not scripted at all. This is just us shooting from the hip and really how we feel about the product now, which, you know, I, I love the product now, but the fans are killing it. And, Especially you know, NXT. These... I, I compared them to early ECW crowds. And I am right on point when I say that. You really are. And I've been watching so much ECW lately because, you know, you, you've turned me on to it. Yeah. You said, hey, you need to watch more ECW. And I always said, oh, I don't want to watch that crap. 
you know, I, I was with Jerry Lawler saying it's extreme crappy wrestling. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the, the fans of ECW, uh, not ECW, NXT, you know, they take these guys, you know, they see them every day, every week. It's the same people watching these guys. And so when they get called up to the main roster and they're not getting the same push they were getting in developmental, you know, they think it's an absolute travesty and that people who have been working for years and years on the main roster should get pushed down just because they're not, they weren't on NXT for, you know, two years. Mm -hmm. I think people have forgotten about how the steady climb is supposed to be for a wrestler when they come into this business. Aside from Brock Lesnar, who was in OVW, he exploded on the scene, he won a championship in his first year, right? Aside from him, yeah. look, you remember how long John Cena's rise was from when he came over? He went through. It was like from 2002, 2003 until like 05, 06 was when he really got mm-hmm. the big push. Right, so they go from coming in, you kind of start fresh, you got some developmental shit under your belt, you work the bottom of the card, you do a couple random feuds, you develop your character, you eventually you win, you win a mid-card title, just like John Cena won the U.S. title from the big show, right? And then on next step after that, he got JBL and he won the title at WrestleMania. So that takes years. So we can't be like, oh man, well Sami Zayn, he should be getting the push because he's been, he was an indie guy for years. So where's his push? He's been working already. No, he's, he's not ready for it. I don't want to see him at the yeah, top. Yeah, he's of the been card. working. And, and I've brought this up to you before uh, with with these indie wrestlers who I love. I love these guys because they're in ring work. I am a, both of us are huge mark for in ring work, mm-hmm. and these guys have it in droves. The issue is they don't have a character. On, on the indie scene, you're taught to have these, you know, really, you know, drawn out matches, you know, really develop your in-ring work, but have these over-the-top matches that'll draw crowds just to see something crazy happen, and you're not really developing a character at all. The only person right now that has come through NXT that has a developed character uh, and is pretty good in the ring is Kevin Owens. And the only reason he has a developed character is just because he's a natural heel, and he really does well yeah. in the part. Exactly. So anyway, it's... it's... Not to take anything away from him, but it's very easy for him to play that part because he can pull it off well because he's a natural hill. These other guys kind of rely on putting on great matches, and we're like, oh, well, why can't we see more Cesaro and more Sami Zayn at the top of the card? Because, well, can they really cut the promo and and work the feuds and sell out the arenas like some of these other guys can that can do everything, like cut a promo and work the ring and play heel face and all these things? I don't think so. No, and as much as you know, people want to see a guy like Cesaro or Neville or Sami Zayn, you know, be top guys. They're exactly where they they need to be right now, which is in that you know kind of mid card slot where they they're kind of the the foundation of the roster, where you send them out there to have the twenty minute matches that you the know fans love. Show. Yeah, they're they're very much like these NXT guys. I I can re, you know relate them to. The WCW Cruiserweights that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. It's these guys that come in, they're not necessarily ready for the big time, but they're there to put on you know, these compelling matches that keeps people watching. Because how many times do they cut to fucking commercial on Raw and expect you to, to stick around and find out what happens in that match? So the answer you is have every a guy six like, minutes. So when you have a guy like Cesaro in there putting on a really good match, yeah, you're going to stick around, but he's not the guy that you're tuning into the show to watch. I tune in to watch guys like AJ Styles and Seth Rollins, you know, guys that, you know, do it all, like you said, can cut a promo, can mm-hmm. work babyface and heel, and also put on really good matches. 
current WWE. There's only a couple guys that deserve to be at the top of the card. So if we're having two titles, which is still a little bit obnoxious, I think, there's really only so many guys that you can truly justify to say, yes, he can sell the merch, he can work the end of the card, he can go up against potential Hall of Fame guys like John Cena. So there's only a couple guys that can do that. And AJ Styles, I mean, Jericho can still do it, Rollins can still do it. But these other guys that are really dependent on one certain thing right now, they need more time to develop, which is... Which is where I've kind of come to settle with Bray Wyatt is he's he cuts the meanest promos, right? He's got a great character, but his in-ring work is not at that ten level yet where it needs to be, and hopefully it'll get there. Yeah, and he he's been in <clears throat> he's been in some big time feuds with a John Cena, but mm-hmm. the matches he's put on haven't been that compelling, which right. kind of you know brings him down a couple rungs. Unfortunately, you know I would love to see Bray Wyatt get a run with the title because I think his character can pull it off. I was really excited when I heard about the brand split and I was pushing for that second title, but now that I'm watching it, it's happening. You know, it, it's kind of underwhelming. SmackDown has had to bring in some people to kind of toil in the main event scene just to kind of, you know, piss off AJ Styles, the champion, because they don't have anybody credible to go against AJ Styles other than John Cena or a Randy Orton if he wasn't, you know, doing the Wyatt family thing right now. Right. The, the lack of characters and the lack of legit guys has forced them to still use Dean Ambrose in a place where he is, I think, not comfortable. I think where he's really he's really out of place is at the top of the card. I'm kind of – it's okay that he got his title, his title run, and it was decent at best. But, I mean, this is AJ Styles we're talking about. So they have to do odd things like Ellsworth to put at the top of the card to kind of help Ambrose – work that better because they, they don't have anybody else they're not going to get john cena full-time anymore and like we talked about earlier with the uh, pillman thing ambrose is kind of kind of has that character where he doesn't need the title he just needs to go out there and do crazy stuff and because mm-hmm. he's so over and he, he doesn't need to be chasing the title and when he was champion in my opinion it wasn't very good at all it was you know kind of mediocre and his character doesn't really lend itself to being the champ it's great when he's chasing the title and it's great when he's in these you know feuds with some of these other guys but his character just isn't a championship character i think we were both excited for the the brand split when it happened but uh since then smackdown has definitely been winning by, by putting on the better show but i think the rosters are definitely out of tune for sure and i think what the issue is is we thought all of these guys were underrated and underutilized and now we're starting to realize why WWE didn't push these guys. Yeah. And it kind of sucks, but that's just that's just how the product is. Sorry to sorry to really kind of put a damper on the mood. Yeah, well, we're, that real real talk will do that though. Yeah. But this has been the Collar and Elbow Wrestling podcast talking about the most underrated performers, wrestlers of really our time and even before our time just guys that we really enjoyed watching in the ring out of the ring but didn't really get the push or the really the top titles that they in our opinion they deserved thanks for listening uh you can follow us on twitter and facebook at c-a-e wrestling we're also on instagram now thanks to the hard work of chris harris that's right, double tap those photos. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, go ahead, send us comments on the Facebook page, uh, tweet us. You know, we would love to get into those conversations with you. So uh, like our page on Facebook, comment, talk to us, follow us on Twitter, shoot us some tweets and shoot us some ideas for future episodes. Love to really get your input on what you want to hear from us. And also, 
You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play. Go ahead, subscribe, hit that download button, tell your friends, you know, like, get them on the wrestling talk. Tell them to come and talk with us. We love talking pro wrestling. Once again, this has been the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast. We do this for the love of wrestling, and together we can make wrestling great again.